Welcome back to another Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. What's up? Hey, how are you doing? I'm enjoying this delicious latte that we picked up from our local coffee shop. When I say local, it's like a block away. And it's super cheap. It's German chocolate latte. It's got coconut, dark chocolate, caramel. It's like everything I could hope for. Oh my God, it's got all those parts in it. It's very delicious. And it was only like three bucks. I know. So... It's Pretty delicious. I don't know how they're staying open, but I hope they do. <laughs> They've been busy quite a while, so perhaps <laughs> they will stay open. Well, yeah. But uh, shout out to the local coffee joint. Yeah, what what's it called? The Smoky Mountain Roasters. Yeah. Okay, Smoky Mountain Roasters, do it. So are you ready to get started with a fucking case that's going to blow your mind? Yeah, I think we um, got, uh, you told me just a little bit, this may be the biggest profile case we've ever, you know what I mean? Well, it's. In a way. Intense. Yes. Okay. For sure. so, yeah, I think we can just dive into it head first. Are you ready, audience, to have your faces melted? <laughs> like you're at a Motley Crue show and there's pyrotechnics and like Tommy Lee's in his little weird upside down roller coaster thing with his drum kit? Safe pyrotechnics, not white stripe pyrotechnics. Home sweet home. Okay, let's do this. Okay. On January 7th, 1994, the body of Victor Gunnerson was discovered near Deep Gap, North Carolina by a North Carolina DOT employee who was out doing some surveying for the state. Now, the body was located about 300 feet off a ramp to the Blue Ridge Parkway in Watauga County. Now, Watauga County is up near, you know, like Boone. It's the northern mountain region. Okay, I always hear that name and I always forget. Of the western states. I always forget where the hell it's at. Yeah, so it's like if you're looking at the um, the western part of North Carolina, it's going to be that northwest kind of area. And okay. it's mountains, a bit more rugged mountains than where we are. Yeah. Higher elevation. They are more, yeah, they're very, a lot more rugged. The body appeared to have been dead for several weeks, and later the cause of death would be determined as a gunshot wound to the head. Two twenty-two caliber bullets were removed from Gunnarsson's head. Now, it appeared to be an execution-style murder. Close range, like someone had just come up, pow-pow, popped him in the back of the head. Wow. A piece of black duct tape, I'm sorry, electrical tape, I get the two confused, electrical tape, was found nearby as though it had been maybe used to gag him. It had like a little bit of hair on it. Wow. Some, you know, a little clump of hair, had some blood, and it was about a 16-inch piece of tape. And it was kind of crumpled up like someone had ripped it off, perhaps thrown it down. What a dummy. But the rest of the scene was clear. As I mentioned, or maybe I didn't mention, he was naked. Okay. So he'd been forced, obviously someone had taken his clothes, killed him, basically tried to sweep the site. Almost like a professional hit. The contents of his stomach revealed partially digested potatoes. They knew he had died within a few hours of eating. On December 3rd, 1993, Gunnarsson had dinner with a woman where he had consumed potatoes, and he had not been seen since that evening. Okay, so they got possibly last known. So they find his body January 7th. He had last been seen on December the 3rd, so that's quite some time. They knew from the potatoes that he had to be killed within a few hours of this December 3rd dinner. Okay. Where he had probably eaten the potatoes. I always thought that was really cool how they do that. I can learn a lot from your stomach contents. They would learn that I'm a fat ass who likes to eat a lot. Anyway, Victor Gunnarsson 
Now let's get a little background on him because I'm telling you, this story is all over the place. It's a little wacky, so I hope you can keep up. Victor Gunnarsson was a Swedish right-wing activist. He was born in 1953. He immigrated to the United States in the late 80s. Gunnarsson had connections to various political organizations, including the European Workers' Party. In February of 1986, the Prime Minister of Sweden, Olaf Palme, was murdered. Now, at the same time, Sweden had not known much political violence. There wasn't a lot of domestic terrorism. It's a pretty peaceful place. It's gotten a little, you know, more dangerous over the course of the last probably decade. Some homegrown terrorism and that kind of thing. But at the time, in the 80s, I mean, Sweden was a pretty safe place. Well, that's what I think now when I think about Sweden. You know, literally, they are stay neutral in more, you know, world politics. So they just kind of, you know, just leave it, let us be. And, you know, everything's cool. So I always think it's kind of Yeah, the Scandinavian countries have had a few incidences, you know, of the homegrown kind of terrorism, violence. Of course, the Norwegian black metal scene, they were burning churches. I mean, there's been a little bit of that, but not like we have here in the United States. On February 28th, 1986, Paul May and his wife were leaving a movie theater in Stockholm. Witnesses say a man approached him. There was like a brief conversation between the two. Then the man pulled out a gun, shot him in the back at close range, and a second shot hit Paul May's wife. Wow. So you can just walk up to the prime minister and be like, sup, dude? And no, wow. no bodyguard at the time. So, okay. yeah, pretty accessible. Man of the people. <laughs> so the second shot hit his wife, but she survived without serious harm. But Paul May was dead. Now, a drug addict and petty criminal named Christer Peterson was initially charged with the murder, but that conviction was overturned. That's when authorities set their sights on Gunnarsson. Now, witnesses saw him at a bar near the theater before the shooting. With Gunnarsson's reputation and his anti-Palme sentiments, uh, they did find some pamphlets in his home that were, like, adamantly against this prime minister. Yeah. Um, you know, and some other propaganda types of things in his home. He was under investigation. Authorities had put phone surveillance on him. He says he was harassed for months, even years after this. So badly, he couldn't get a job. He was struggling. Okay. His name was out there. Everybody thought he was guilty before he'd even, you know, had a day in court. Yeah. And they didn't have enough evidence to arrest him. But he was definitely, you know, number one suspect on the list. Yeah, and those more, I don't know if you'd call it liberal, but kind of, you know, Scandinavian countries have a, you know, um, history of being very, you know, forward-thinking on me and their policies. These little right-wing groups that do always exist around these are typically very, very extreme. You know and what Paul I mean? Paul May was, I believe, a Democrat socialist. Right. So he was part of the very liberal, like, socialist party right. in Sweden. And Victor Gunnarsson, you know, just did not approve of this, as I yeah. mentioned, right wing. So, yeah, he was uh, dead. They really didn't have enough evidence to, you know, charge Gunnarsson, although he was being harassed, interrogated. You know, he felt like this was ruining his life, and he wasn't even charged. So he decided to move to the United States. And I should mention, 
the Prime Minister Palme's murder is still unsolved to this day. Wow. Never been able to solve the case. Gunnarsson moved to the United States. He immigrated to Salisbury, North Carolina, okay. where he was working as a like a language tutor. Okay. And that's how he was making money. He was known as a ladies' man around town, wooing women. Well, with that Swedish accent. Fairly good-looking guy, dark oh, hair. Oh, Gunter. Had the Tom Selleck mustache. Okay. You know, he, oh, had that, he had that whole 80s thing going on. Plus, oh. he's like the big Scandinavian Swedish man. Yeah, and I bet he had some really great meatballs. Yeah. Oh. Well, some reports even say he would woo ladies by claiming to be an FBI agent. And he had even like this little badge thing that he would flash. And he would tell women he was a film director. Oh, what kind of films, Gunter? And would, his name was Victor, baby. Victor. And uh, he would try sorry. to um, woo women by telling them he was like a film director, European film director, you know. So he like had some game. Gunter's just he fun was, to say. I'm sorry about he that. He was running game. A few months before Gunnarsson's body was found, he had met a single mother named Kay Whedon. The pair had been dating only a brief period at the time of his death. Now, the presumed evening of or before his death, he had been at Kay's house having dinner on that December 3rd evening. Eating some damn potatoes, wasn't he? Eating some taters. What's the South? We like Southern our Southern fried taters. Yeah. So, who would kill this former activist? Conspiracy theorists believe it was a hired hit by the CIA, who may have also been responsible for the prime minister's assassination. Ah. So immediately these rumors start to swirl. People thought that perhaps Gunnarsson was a CIA like operative assassin hired to kill the prime minister. And they're cleaning up. And then they're cleaning up by taking him out. Oh, well, how could, if you knew anything about his backstory, you know, you would kind of, you know, you'd be like, oh, yeah, what's going on here? Well, it definitely leads to some salacious, you know, stories and ideas, I guess. Because the CIA's presence in Salisbury is huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kay Whedon was a school teacher, and she had been in a relationship previously, even engaged to a police officer named Lamont Claxton Underwood. And people called him L.C. I guess so. That's a pretty, pretty big name. I guess Underwood and Kay had met because he worked at Salisbury High School as, I guess, like a school resource officer, often appearing at the high school, that kind of thing. So they met up. He was a 19 and a half year law enforcement veteran. Now, he had retired in 1993 after suffering an injury, but history of working in law enforcement, dating this teacher, she had ended the relationship in early December of 1993. Now, the relationship was tenuous at best. During the course, she had received several anonymous threatening letters, okay. including one that stated a 22 caliber had been fired into her house. Of course, she's panicked, calls a sheriff's deputy to come over, they did find a bullet lodged into the exterior of the house by her son's bedroom. Wow, how scary is that? One letter demanded $2,000 or, or her son would be harmed. She also was receiving these threatening phone calls. Oh my God. Yeah, just very crazy. Now, Underwood was a three times, so what does that make him, thrice divorced? <laughs> yeah, that probably makes him an asshole. <laughs> Now, once the story starts to come out, 
they find that he had a history of stalking women. Yeah. Harassing them when the relationship soured, vandalizing their property, making threats, essentially terrorizing the women he would date. Oh, and so he's like Judge Dredd. I am the law. So he's running around cop all this time. Small, smaller town, smaller area. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? That's the way he thinks. Right, because this is the a you know the late eighties, early nineties when these relationships are happening, souring. If you look back historically, the laws to protect women and say, domestic violence victims no were not laws. in place like they are today. Yeah, there were no stalking laws. Yep, you know a lot of times when victims would call law enforcement and say, hey, this guy's threatening me or stalking me. They would be like, well, we don't like to get involved in that. Yeah, there's not much that. we can right. do. And he's a cop, too. On top so of you that. Know, you know these women weren't getting any relief in that area away from this guy. For a while, Whedon was experiencing this harassment from Underwood, such as he'd follow her around, drive by her house. Once he even followed her into a restaurant, picked up a drink and poured it into her lap. What a asshole. So this had been going on for a while, but here kind of around this time period, I guess things had kind of flattened out a little bit. They were kind of being more cordial to each other, trying to be friends, if you Uh, will. Okay, well, I could see from her point of view wanting to calm this down because nobody wants someone stalking around after them. Yeah, no shit. Public confrontation. scary. Public confrontation. It's embarrassing. It's very, yes, I can't, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm no I'm not going to do that. Now, on the evening of December 3rd, Gunnarsson's car was parked at the Whedon house. Underwood and a woman named Shirley Scott drove by the Whedon home several times that evening. Now, at some point when Underwood sees this car and doesn't know who the owner is, he's very upset about it. He calls his friend Rick Hilliard another law enforcement member, around 11.30 p.m. and gave him the tag number and asked him to perform a search. Oh, wow, that's an abuse of power he used to have. Called him back to say it belonged to Victor Gunnarsson. The address was listed in Salisbury. So this guy gives him all of the information. Yeah, not a good move. Later, Jason Whedon, the son of Kay, would testify that on this evening around 11 p.m., he had seen Underwood's car drive by outside the house. She and her son are both aware he's harassing her, stalking her. He's doing these drive-bys, spying, all of that. The son notes, here he is, probably tells his mom, like, hey, that psycho's outside again. Yeah, no like shit, poor kid. teenage boys would, you know, tell Gotta mom. Gotta deal with that crap. Yeah, no People kidding. shooting at the damn house. It's frightening. Yeah, I mean... It's like a terrorist. Well, I tell you, that's very psychologically traumatic to the people receiving things like stalking. Yes. It's very, if you think, like, just... Even if someone, like, comes straight at you and, you know, has a confrontation, you're like, oh, you know, that sucked, or I hope that don't happen. But just knowing that someone's out... When it's persistent. Persistent. When it's unexpected it, or it's creeping around like in the surprise, damn dark attack. like yeah you hear it's like something you can never feel safe in your home which yes. is the one place you should feel is your sanctuary right where you have safety yeah and it's like it's like being terrorized literally terrorized 24 7 because you never know when this freaking wacko is going to come up out of the bushes or some shit yeah exactly 
Well, Gunderson left the Whedon's house and was never heard from again. On December the 15th of 1993, so about two weeks after he had been missing, his landlord reported him as a missing person. Right. Probably noticed he hadn't been around or maybe it was rent time, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's mid-month. Hasn't seen him for two weeks. Maybe he's very good about paying his rent. Or maybe he just knows that he always sees them. Something They may be amiss. friendly. Exactly. Four days after her date with Gunnarsson, Kay Whedon's 78-year-old mother, Catherine Miller, was at home making dinner. She was shot execution style with a 38 caliber. Oh, my God. Investigators determined that the elderly woman was shot by someone she knew as there was no forced entry into the home. It appeared as though she had let this person in. She was in the kitchen. She was making dinner. She was shot near the stove where she was preparing her dinner. Days before her murder, Whedon and her mother, Catherine Miller, had been in a restaurant when Underwood had a confrontation with the two. Now, during this argument, he told Whedon that her mother was to blame for their breakup. Oh, my God. Apparently, this mother was not approving of their relationship, had kind of been a big advocate to her daughter, like, you need to break up with this guy. This crazy-ass dude, he's yeah. Not right for you. And then once he's doing all the stalking, she's like, you don't even need to be friends with this guy. The advice most mothers would give. Oh, I'm going to tell you, if he'll do all this stalking shit to every single one of these women uh, to this degree, he had some wackadoodle shit in his everyday life. You know what I mean? There was some it'd be it could probably control issues, I'm going to guess. Oh, we're going to get into that. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. all right. Put our little psychology hat on. Well, he told her that he wished some harm would come to Whedon's mother so she would understand how he felt. Like, my heart is broken. I feel so upset. I hope something bad happens to your mom so you can feel as bad as I feel. What a dick. Yeah. Well, Whedon also had received a letter from Underwood at some point warning her not to force me to do anything. Oh, okay. Because I can't control myself. It's you forcing me. Don't you love those people who can't accept responsibility for their own emotions and actions? Yeah, those people, it's it's funny how everybody else makes them do that stuff. Yeah, it's your fault. It's your fault that I'm a crazy person, right? Yeah. Well, Underwood's home, now this is where it comes into play that he is a control freak. Okay. He seems to suffer from some sort of like OCD. It's very obsessive, controlling behavior. Fun guy. His home was described as immaculate, just obsessed with cleanliness. Investigators searched his property and found a house that looked like a museum. Like everything had a place. It almost was too perfect. Like nobody even lives there. Right. Like there are the things that belong to a person who would live there. But it was so neat, so clean, so tidy, that it almost looked like a model, like a, like a know, display, like a model of, home yeah. or something. Okay. Just too perfect. That's always not weird. Now, when they do a sweep of the house, they find no firearms, but they find some black electrical tape in the laundry room, which looked like the tape they found near Gunnarsson's body. Now, they find a, found the roll? No. They find some that's been basically used? attached to the back of the like the hoses uh, hose on the oh, dryer man. these are some good detectives now that's what i'm talking about right there yeah we always want to be like oh small town they didn't know that right there now these are some top-notch is, detectives that is badass 
So they find this tape and they're like, wait a minute, let's just go ahead and take this in as evidence. Just in because case. Because it matches this black electrical tape. Maybe it does, maybe it don't, we're but gonna, we're going to recover Yes. It. That's the thought process. They end right up taking, there. I think, about 50 items from the house. Like I said, no guns, but they find like gl- gun cleaning kits. Yeah. Some other things. So they seize all these, you know, items during the search, take those. So forensic testing would prove that the tape samples were the same brand and possibly even the same roll of tape. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I fucking love it. You I can't... mean, it was down to like, this is about, you know, as close as it could be to the same batch of tape that it's probably the same roll. Even if they can't prove, you know, a thousand percent, if they can say it's just so likely, you know, like a one in 600,000 chance that this is, you know, I mean, that really uh, carries a lot of weight with jurors, you know. Because... Sometime after the Gunnerson murder, so it was just sometime after this early December murder, that Underwood took his 1979 Monte Carlo, big pimpin'. I had a 1978. Well, there you go, baby. Deluxe body, baby. Was it hot? It was, it was god-awful. It was charcoal gray. And uh, had a bright red interior. Oh. Yeah. It sounds like you was big pimpin'. I was big pimpin'. He takes this 1979 Monte Carlo to a car wash and had it thoroughly cleaned, detailed, was very adamant that everything needed to be spotless. Right. Almost like he had a body in the car. Having the trunk <laughs> carpet cleaned. Ah. Oh. He instructed the attendant to make sure... That they shampooed this trunk carpet. Just, it has to be perfect. Okay. Investigators would later say that the trunk had some scratches inside, and they found a shoe print kind of up on the the roof of the trunk lid. Yeah. As though it had been kicked. A forensic investigator was able to find some single hair strands. Now, this is what's so interesting, is the... um, forensic guy taking some tape and was trying to, you know, see if he could find anything. And the car was so immaculately clean, he was finding nothing. He wasn't even getting lint. No. Yeah. But he just so happened to find this one little place, kind of almost like under the carpet, where he found these 16 strands of hair. Wow. Yes. Now, none had the root, but mitochondria DNA could be tested. Okay. So it was just enough. And that was probably a rather recent advancement on DNA around, was it the early 90s? Yes. Okay. I don't know that story. I don't, I could be lying. The results would come back as a perfect match. Boom. To Gunnarsson. There you go. A typewriter was also discovered during the investigation. The typewriter ribbon was determined to be used to send those harassing, threatening letters to Kay Whedon. And that's why you don't do it on top. They were writer. able to pull the tape and match up. And like, look at the letters they've been kicked yes. off. Oh man! So they had a never thought about that. You know, an investigator who kind of specialized in this pull that ribbon was able to match up the letters, and it was like some sort of triple strand ribbon type of thing. Oh yeah, that was used, and they were able to match up that's the letters up. with the you know that was actually typed out. And he thought he was being slick by not writing it out by hand because I'm sure he was well aware of handwriting analysis. That's fairly old forensics. Now, it took nearly two years for an arrest to be made 
Underwood was finally arrested on October 12, 1995, with proof of the threatening letters and the DNA evidence, the forensic evidence, prosecutors were able to build a pretty decent case against him. And they had developed this theory that the motive was pure and simple jealousy. Yeah, so they can't, like, that's what's awesome about forensics. is like they can't prove, uh, they don't have, it doesn't sound like they have the gun. It's smart enough to get rid of the gun. They don't really have any eyewitness. They don't. They don't have a lot besides these forensic testimony, evidence. Testimony. People saying, "Hey, I saw him here at this time." But if you prove beyond, you know, with through DNA beyond a shadow of a doubt that someone's in a fucking trunk, I mean, you know what I mean? That's not a normal thing. It's not like the hairs were in the car and he could say some bullshit story about he gave the guy a ride or they had a discussion about what was going on or something. It's in the fucking trunk. Underwood thought if he created turmoil in Kay Whedon's life that she would have to turn to him for comfort. And he killed her fucking mom? Yes. So if he kills her new boyfriend, he kills her mother, she's going to have no one, she's going to turn to him. The guy who's been stalking the living shit out of her, making her life a living hell. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's normal. Well, all of this information, coupled with the fact that he had spent this great deal of time stalking her and had this history of stalking women, vandalizing their property, maybe some violence in there. Yeah, I mean, well, from his point of view, let's be fair, stalking's not easy. You know what I mean? It's a 24-7 job. So he's put all this time in this stalking relationship. It's true. He's done all this damn stuff out in the dark, because you know you <laughs> do a lot of stalking in the dark. He's probably, like, not met other women just so he could stalk her. He'd even gone as far as, like, having his friends participate. And this is what I don't get. So, at some point, she had been getting these threatening phone calls. And she was saying to investigators, it wasn't Underwood's voice. It was the voice of another man. He'd been getting his male friends to call her. And talk crazy to her? Yeah. No! I'm not going to, man, if, if I'm hanging with dudes like, oh, let's have a couple beers, blah, 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 we're just shooting the shit. Hey, you mind calling my ex and, like, scaring her and shit? I'd be like, fuck no, man. What are you talking about? That's crazy. I don't care if we've been friends for 50 years. Yeah, I know. Who does that? Some other misogynistic asshole friend, you know, they must, yeah, no kidding. Seriously. Right. Birds, Birds of, of a, a feather. feather. There we go. <laughs> well, he was indicted on first degree kidnapping and the murder of Gunnarsson. He was never charged with the murder of Catherine Miller. And though they suspect, you know, that he definitely was involved in this, he was never charged with her murder. I don't understand. I, I, I know we've, we've talked about it time and again. You know, they just want the person in jail. I get it. There's cause and all that. But I think families deserve justice. Know, I, I think they, they, and that's the only way to have official justice. Is to, uh, to go through the system. Well, I'm assuming that with Miller, it was mostly circumstantial evidence. They knew, and we'll get into that here in just a minute, but they knew he had made threats. He knew her, so it's likely he was able to gain entry into her house. I, I guess there struggle. really is no case. There I mean, was no I, weapon. We have to look at it from the prosecution. They have to have something to put a case together. Right, and it seems and like you, they really didn't. You can't just say, I, I think the guy did it, or it's obvious he did it. You have to have evidence, straightforward evidence of some type. This is what seems to have happened. 
On the night of the murder, Underwood, stalking Whedon, saw the car, calls in the tag. When he sees Gunnarsson leaving the house, he follows him to Gunnarsson's apartment, kidnaps him at gunpoint. He drove him 86 miles away to that deep gap area in Watauga County, okay. away from Salisbury. In the fucking trunk. In the trunk, forced him to strip naked, and then shot him execution style. All right. Underwood thought he'd gotten all of the evidence. He'd taken the clothes, shoes, basically everything. That might be clinging fibers or Just something Just left like this that. naked body there. Okay. However, he didn't get that piece of tape. That damn piece of discarded that tape. That electrical tape that he'd used to gag. So think about that. If he had a, that type of um, matching up something like tape or a trash bag, and th- I'd say that was fairly new because that, that, that's not been super around a super long time, I don't think. Very forward thinking for the early 90s. Yes. When forensics really started getting creative. Right. And... Uh, but just think, so if he gets that one little piece of tape, like if he just crams it in his pocket instead of discarding it, and the, the attendant doesn't get pissed off with his overbearing ass and does actually go just swoop by that one spot with their vacuum when they're cleaning the hell out of his car, they would have had no case. Exactly. Those I mean, two, it's those amazing two th- that these little pieces of evidence add yeah. up to yeah. make the case. A few days later... After he kills Gunnarsson, he kills Catherine Miller. Several witnesses said that Underwood had a thirty-eight caliber, like a snub-nosed revolver. Yeah, like, isn't that a Saturday Night Special? Then he actually shit? had that in his possession. Police gun. But he had lent this gun to a friend, and he'd actually lent the gun to a friend in hopes that that friend might stalk Kay Whedon down and like threaten her with it. What? Yeah. On the night of the murder. He goes to his friend and he asks for the gun back. Yeah, I need that gun, bro. I got to do a little lot stalking. Yeah. So he goes, gets his gun, his thirty-eight, and that's the same night that Catherine Miller is murdered, is shot in her kitchen. After publicly stating, I hope something happens to your mom. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, Dude's a whack job. Yeah. And this is not even... This story's crazy. <laughs> if only he had had the insult, your mom goes to college. Yeah. I mean, come on, really? This story's crazy because the political assassination in a whole other country has just been like kind of pushed to the side by this whack job. It's, I told you to hang tight. This is. So we got a political intrigue, international pop political intrigue. We have Salisbury, this is the fucking heart of it over here in America. Salisbury, North Carolina. Salisbury, as I call it in my head for some reason. And boom, here's this whack job. Just running around killing every fucking body. I mean, it's just a really interesting case of like, it makes me think of bumper cars. Yeah. How people are just bumping into Well, you each got other this dude and... from Sweden. He's got this yeah. past. It's like a big deal. He comes over here. He's kicking around. He's running around serving all the ladies up in Salisbury with his incredible Swedish meatballs. And his mustache. And his... Great must sounds like an incredible stash. I bet he wore really awesome sweaters. Too. You know he did. You know he did. Yeah, I bet he's he looks like a. Sweater oh, I bet guy. dude. You know that's all this horrible stuff's happened and it can't be changed. But that is great for him to see her with this big Swedish. I don't know. Is he big? 
He, I just don't remember. He's a ladies' man. He's handsome. handsome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet that just ate that piece of shit up that she's with this cool dude. Ooh, I can't even do a Swiss accent. Like, ah, oh, dude, she upgraded. Yeah, she totally upgraded. I fucking love you, you whore. It's probably <laughs> one of you. those. Give me your phone, bitch. I'm going to give you my number. <laughs> <laughs> Thugs meeting chicks in the bar. But anyway, uh, yeah. So he's teaching. She's teaching. And I bet that just, he obviously it pushed him over the edge. Definitely. He, he couldn't take it. Well, none of the murder weapons were ever recovered. So we still don't know what he did with those guns. Yeah, I say he knew how to get rid of a gun. Be it cut it up, drill out the barrel, whatever. Underwood was convicted and sentenced to serve life in prison. Just life? While in prison, he continued to deny any involvement in the killings and claims that the evidence was planted, he was framed, he was set up. Right, because the own cops in the area want to set up another ex-cop. I had read an article, um, and I used a couple of articles from the Watauga Democrat okay. to research this story. And there was a journalist, I suppose, who had gone to the prison to interview him some years later. And Underwood was like, I don't know why you'd want to talk about this all these years later. Right. Whatever. But was denying that he had anything to do with it. Still claiming that all of this evidence was planted he was innocent. What a douche. It was a conspiracy. I'll tell you what. What a cocksucker. Excuse me, but... Well, he died, if this is any comfort for you, Dylan. He died of natural causes on December 23rd, 2018. He died because of karma. She's a bitch, and she serves it up sooner or later. Karma does. They can call it natural she causes. She it in a pan and It doesn't it matter. Off. It doesn't matter. And the more shit you do, the more just your desserts. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> because case. he would have died of some agonizing shit drawn out over two years what he deserved. Piece yeah. of shit. So, interesting side note when it comes <sighs> to this case. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can't handle me anymore on this one. Kay Whedon was a professor of mine at Western Carolina University. You're kidding. And I remember her son. You're... She taught a public speaking class. I was a communications major. Now you're just making shit up. And she taught a communications, like, public speaking class. <clears throat> okay. That I had to take. And, yeah. And so, I heard of this story. I saw the name. I remembered, wait a minute, I had a professor. With that name. And then you probably just thought, oh, it's just, you know, somebody with the same name. Quick realized it was the same woman. Really? Then my mom, who's a huge Mountain Murders fan, thanks mom, shout out to you for being awesome. That she supported me. this podcast by birthing you. For choosing life, baby. Yep. So. <laughs> That's right. Our mom's vaginas support this podcast, guys, just thanks. so you know. Yeah. You're, don't talk about my mom's badge. Oh, well, my mom's vagina. Well, okay, let's just move on. Damn it, Dylan. Yeah. So, Kay Whedon, uh, you know, I remembered the name, whatever, remembered the story from years before, and then my mom was like, because she's always recommending cases, she gets yeah. really excited. She does. She says, oh my gosh, have you heard of this story? It's so crazy. There was this prime minister, an assassination, you know, all the things we've just talked about. She's telling me, and I was like, you know what? I know this case, and the woman, the center of it all in this love triangle was my professor at Western, and my mom was like, no way! What the hell, dude? We're both, you know, catamounts, mom and I. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And I remember her son, he was in a fraternity 
but sometimes when we were in class, he would pop by in the beginning or the end of class sometimes to talk to his mom. So I remember him. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's two degrees of Heather Hyde around here, I guess. Isn't that a wild? Just yeah. Connection? Well, I mean, what's the odd? And I never knew. And this was in the early 2000s. Yeah. And I never knew that she was involved in something like this. That's of crazy. Of course, in her professional life, she wasn't telling her students. but Well, who would want to talk about that shit? She had experienced some serious trauma. Not only is her, you know, date, her boyfriend murdered which they'd only been dating a short time. It wasn't like she was madly in love with him. But or... she has, he's murdered because of her. Yes. You know, she and has to carry that shit. her mother is her killed. Her mom is brutally executed After in her own damn kitchen. After she stalked and harassed, her son has been threatened. Because of her. I mean, I'm just, I'm saying that in a way that she could carry that survivor's guilt with her. Poor woman. I know. I, I, I just can't even Well, know, I'm glad process. that she could even... Carry what this on. woman has been through. Yeah, I mean, she's a strong woman. But she was a great teacher. I really enjoyed her class. Of yeah. course, public speaking, you know, I, I love to talk but that's about really myself sad in public. So. That she, I mean, who could imagine? <laughs> I know, right? How could right? you even go on after that? Seriously. And who would have thunk it that you'd find a murder with so many different elements tucked away right here? In <sighs> I'm just waiting for you to little say. Little Western North Carolina. By the way, they found Jimmy Hoffa's body while they was looking for the other guy's body. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, I'm just a couple more big ties there. Yeah. That was incredible. Thank you. Our first, like, real love triangle. Our international intrigue, which we've had a little bit of that. Peter London. He's going all over the place that's killing true. people. But no, that's a very exciting in a morbid way, because poor people were, you know, the, the wrong people died or were murdered, to, you know. But, um, yeah, that's crazy. Well, if you want to see this amazing Swedish man's meatballs, his mustache. I'm looking him up at work his tonight. His good looks. Don't worry about it, Dylan. I'm going to take care of that work for you. Okay. I'll be posting his photo on Instagram and on our Facebook page so you can look up Mountain Murders. Um, on Facebook, Mountain Murders Podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow there, and you'll see we add a lot of photos and things from these cases. And if you want to sign up for Patreon, you can join for as low as $3 a month. Support the podcast if you're a fan. I want to just say thanks to all of our listeners. We are at over 18,000 downloads officially on our podcast. Yes, and we're heading towards our biggest month to date. It's done nothing but grow. Since we started it and back up. we're not up. even a year in. We started this podcast last year at the, the end, end of, of December. Right. We pot, we had episodes from December to February. Four or five. Then we had a lull until May. Yep. And, and then, then we, we were back in business. We've had 18,000 downloads off of just a couple of months. Yeah. And, worth of podcast And from May, material. it went crazy. And we talk about it all the time. We know it's because of you guys. You know, other we true have so crime. many wonderful fans. Fans. Word of mouth. They tell their friends. They tell their family. Yes. They brag about us. We they love give us it. Five star reviews. We love it. Yeah. And they follow the... us. They like us. They engage on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, on Instagram. They are just wonderful fans. They're they so are supportive. And we love you guys. And we're humbled every day. We sure are. Well, we're gonna peace out, but we'll be back soon with more Appalachian true crime.